Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. We were gone the last two Sundays on vacation, and so it seems like uh, an extended period of time that uh, seems like more than two Sundays, but uh, that's all it was. I checked the calendar, and uh, sure enough, uh, that's all it was. So we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and we're uh, covering 15 to the end, if you want to uh, open your Bibles to that section. And uh, I know there's not, there's very few children in the audience, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, an object lesson is always good, and so... um, I can't forget this. This is Matthew's lunchbox. Um, And I think I'm just going to borrow a book here. It has this arm so that has a little bit more surface. Can everybody see that? All right. Don't worry. It's not one of those uh, owl cameras. (laughs) So... um, this morning, um, we'll be looking at uh, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 15 and following. And um, as I thought about this, you know, I, I thought about uh, comments I've heard from people over the years and different things. And I wrote, uh, I, I, I'm going to use this uh, text because I did all my studying directly out of this. And so I know kind of where the words are. Uh, so, you know how that is. Uh, if you if you look down on the page, and it's like, what's there somewhere? But uh, I wrote on the top of my notes as I was thinking about this, how does this passage present Christ? Because that's why we're here, is to know more of him, uh, and, and ultimately less of me and less of us, but more of him. So uh, let's uh, read our passage this morning. Uh, starting in verse 15, and it says this, Therefore he, that is Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who were called may receive the promised, in, in, a promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For, where, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and, uh, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying... This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things uh, to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor, what, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sin of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Father, this morning, as we consider your word, we pray that you would show us your son, that he would be exalted in our eyes and that he would be lifted up and that we would know more of him and that uh, you would just speak to us and change us by your word, we pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you were to look back, uh, the, the first verse, verse 15, starts with that word, therefore, right? And so it's therefore, so because of what's happened, because of what's been written just prior to this, uh, therefore, uh, Christ has become the mediator of a new covenant. Well, what's the therefore? Uh, it goes back to the previous um, paragraph, which starts in verse 11, which speaks of Christ who came as the high priest. And he offered a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of his own blood. And the, the purpose, the intent of that was that he might uh, secure eternal redemption, that he might secure eternal redemption. So um, as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, I, I like to always, when I'm thinking about reading the Bible and reading the Bible for myself, I want to know, Lord, what does this mean to me? today. How do I, how does this work in my life today? Like, I understand, like, you read this and you're like, wow, if, if I was a Hebrew and I read this, like, I've got to make, I've, there's a lot of change happening. I'm going from all this stuff that I was doing, like Doug was sharing with us from Leviticus about all the things that happened to happen just for the, the leper to get cleansed, right? I've got to change my mindset from all of these things to just trusting Christ and understanding that he is better and it's him alone and nothing else. But, you know, without that background of having done all those things, although sometimes we do things, right, because we think it helps us in our relationship with God. One of the things that hopefully we'll understand as we go through uh, this today is that there is nothing that you can do to better your relationship with Christ uh, nothing you can earn, okay? You can't earn anything. It's going to be all about what he does and not about what we do. But uh, one of the things that uh, we could consider then is uh, as we go through this, I would suggest to you that there's at least five instances where I would say there's a thing that I would call a confidence in Christ, a thing that we can have as a confidence in Christ. And the first one being found in verse 12, that he secured an eternal redemption. He secured an eternal redemption. Now, why is that important? Well, if you're a Jewish person, it's very important because you had to go time after time after time with those sacrifices. And every time you went, you would be reminded that your sins were still there. 
there would always be that reminder that sin was not forgiven, it was simply covered. And sin still was there. But Christ has done a greater thing, and what he has done is he has obtained an eternal, uh, an eternal redemption. A redemption that happens once and never has to be repeated. There's no need to repeat the sacrifice of Christ because his, his sacrifice on our behalf and on behalf of everyone who trusts in him is completely uh, last, not just a lifetime, but lasts the lifetime of the one who gave his life, the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, that's the therefore, which gets us then to, this, to the next point, is this, that Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, um, the writer began to talk about the new covenant back in chapter 7, how there was a new covenant coming in, uh, and the, the old covenant would be obsolete because the new was coming in, and Christ is the one bringing that in. And because Christ gave his life, because he died, uh, he established the new covenant, and he becomes the mediator of the new covenant. So what is a mediator? What, is that, what does that mean to you, a mediator? If you need someone, you know, when uh, we sign contracts for construction work, uh, one of the, they have different um, opportunities if you have a disagreement. Uh, and you can select the one that you want. And there's uh, an arbitrator, uh, so you can go that route. You can go the route of lawyers where you get a couple people in the room and they argue over who's right and who's wrong and somebody makes a, a decision. Or you can get a mediator. And the mediator would be, um, let's say that, that Ted and I have a, made a contract to do some, some work and we have a disagreement partway through and so we're going to bring Larry in and he's going to mediate. And what he's going to do, he's going to talk to Ted, he's going to talk to me and he's going to present um, and he's going he's to bring a peace, right? He's, his, the goal is to get peace and to get a settlement. And we needed that in Christ. We needed someone who could step in because we cannot. We can't come into God's presence, right? God is holy. It says, um, I didn't write it down, but I had looked it up earlier. It says in uh, one of Paul's writings that, that, that uh, the Lord dwells in inapproachable light. If the light is inapproachable, then I'm pretty sure I can't go there. Because he is sinless, I cannot go there. And therefore, I needed a mediator. You needed a mediator, one who could step in. And so Christ comes with a new covenant, the old covenant of the law. Do this, do this, do this, and you'll be accepted. We realize, right, even if we weren't uh, practicing the law, we realize that we can't keep a list of commands. It's impossible. Uh, we fall short. Um, even in the simplest of things, uh, we fall short. Um, probably on a daily basis of, of things that where a list is required for, in order for us to achieve a certain uh, standing. So Christ comes and he's the mediator of a new covenant. And I would suggest to you that that's the second confidence that we have in Christ. Christ is the mediator. He's the one who's going to, who's going to go into God's presence and he's the one who's going to make peace with God on our behalf. And uh, even uh, as, it, uh, as it said uh, earlier in, 
or in the reading that uh, he entered, uh, it's actually later on, it talks about him entering in uh, to the presence of God on our behalf. So um, what was the purpose of this, of Christ mediating this new covenant? Well, it's in verse 15 where it talks about that and he says that it was that those who were called could receive the promised eternal inheritance. So if you're a if you are a Hebrew and you're reading this, your inheritance would have been the land of Canaan. Was the land of Canaan uh, an eternal inheritance? Did it, will it last forever? Will, this, will the blessings of the law last forever? It says that the law, that the old covenant was being done away with, and we know that when Moses uh, read the commands, the people said, all that you said, we will do. But in reality, that didn't work out, did it? They didn't do everything. They, I mean, we would agree. We would do the same thing. We would say, yep, that sounds really good, Lord. We're going to do everything that you say. But the reality is that we fall short on that. So the Lord becomes the mediator of a new covenant so that he can establish an eternal inheritance. An inheritance that does not fade away, an inheritance that's dependent upon him and not dependent upon my performance. An inheritance uh, that happens because, um, as it says here later, that it talks about the idea of a will. And if you, uh, in your version in this section 15 through 17, it will use the word covenant, it will use the word testament, it will use the word will. They're the same uh, Greek word, which I won't go into deep explanation of that because it's not my gift, but uh, it's the same word, and they're used. And uh, the idea of a will, right, we kind of understand that. Most of us probably have a will uh, that are uh, um, uh, maybe uh, 40 and above, I don't know, I'm just picking a number. Uh, if you don't have a will, if you're a child, you wouldn't have a will, typically. Um, but uh, folks that are older, they think about these things, and we have a will. And the will only takes effect, right, when the person who made the will passes away. So, like, I have a will. Uh, Beth and I have a will. And uh, I'm not sure what it says. Frankly, I haven't looked at it for ages. But whatever we said in there won't happen until we're gone, till we're gone to glory. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking about that. So what if, what if uh, you know, uh, you were, um, well, forget that illustration. I'll skip that one. Um, so anyway, the, a will takes effect after the one who, who established the will dies. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. He established the will and then he then he died, he gave his life so that the will could be established. So we have this promised inheritance. And uh, what had to happen for the new covenant? What had to happen for the new covenant to take effect? The new covenant being that we can now approach God because of Christ and because of what he has done, the covenant of grace and love. Well, the first thing that had to happen, as we read, was that Christ had to die. When he dies, it enacts the covenant and allows the covenant to be come into effect. The second thing had to happen was he had to shed his blood. He couldn't just die of natural causes. 
his blood had to be shed. And we'll talk more about why that's important as we go through this passage. And then thirdly, he had uh, Christ uh, was resurrected. And because of that, we have the, uh, the eternal nature of the redemption and the eternal nature of the inheritance. So um, I was thinking about an eternal inheritance, and that's where this object comes in, into play. So um, my mother passed away a few years ago, uh, went home to, to be with the Lord, and, um, and I, I've received a couple of things. My mother did, was not big on, um, on possessions, okay? It wasn't something that she cared about. There were very few things that she kept, uh, and she would always be handing stuff off to her, like, why don't you take this with you? You know, why don't you take that with you and give it off to the kids? And so when my mom passed away, uh, all of her earthly possessions fit on a dining room table at my sister's house. And my sister, being the oldest, I assume was the executor of the will. I'm not sure if there was a will, but we had all these things. And, um, and each person uh, by age was to go up to the table and take one thing that they wanted. Right? So I'm the youngest. So I get to go last, and um, and when it would oh sorry Matthew told me not to walk around because I don't have a lapel mic on it but uh, when it was my turn to go, uh, I was looking at I'm you know standing there looking at the table and, you know I don't need anything that but you know I do have a sentimental streak in me uh, but my sister says to me oh I selected this for you. Okay, this is a cat, a cast iron cat bank. There's a little slot back here where you can put money in. And there's a story, obviously, that goes with that that I won't go into. But this is my inheritance from my mother. Now, it doesn't look like much, and it, it really isn't that much. It's worth about $29, uh, according to uh, Etsy and other places. And, um, but it does have sentimental value for me. It reminds me of my mother, which is a, is a neat thing. But you know what? This thing, um, even though it's made out of cast iron, it's pretty solid, it, it won't last forever. If I set that outside, like in the garden, you know, like I look in the garden kind of cool, it's going to rust. And before long, it'll rust and rust and rust, and you won't even be able to tell what it is, and you won't be able to get the screw out of the back to get... There's no money in it, but if there was money in, you wouldn't be able to get it out. And eventually, if it's left to sit out, it would go to nothing. It would just be a pile of rust oxide, I guess it is, and it would be nothing. And so the, this inheritance is not eternal. Any inheritance, you know, if, if, uh, if I was getting an inheritance from Bill Gates, he could not give me an eternal inheritance. He doesn't have the capacity to give an eternal inheritance. But God, Christ, gives us, gives you and me an eternal inheritance. An assurance that when you come to him, you will never lose what God has given you. It's, it's yours forever because it depends on him and not on me or you. 
So if you will uh, continue on in, in our passage to verse 18, verse 18 to 22 is a picture of uh, what happened in the Old Testament, right? So the writer uh, to the Hebrews, he says, well, um, so just like the first covenant was, not, was, not inaug- was inaugurated with uh, blood, so there was, this was where the idea of the blood comes in. And why is it important? Uh, most of us don't like blood. Like it seems messy and we don't want to deal with it. Perhaps if you're a nurse, that's not quite as a big deal to you. But a lot of people don't really care for blood. It seems messy. You know, if you get a bloody nose or you cut your hand and uh, that sort of thing, you're, you're trying to stop it because you don't want to make a mess, right? Um, and for other reasons. But... Um, so the writer to the Hebrews, he's, he's writing this and he says uh, to the Hebrews, kind of like this, it's like, so remember, right? All these sacrifices, all these things that you were doing, that God made it this way in order that he, would, he could create this picture that's gonna show you who Jesus is and who, what, why that's important. Because every reference to the blood in the Old Testament is gonna point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him, it's not about the sacrifice. It's the sacrifice is simply a picture and there's so many sacrifices because you can't describe God in just one way. You cannot, it's impossible for us as human beings to describe God in his completeness. Just so the different sacrifices show us different aspects and different views of who the Lord Jesus is and so there are many of them, and the blood was very important. In fact, uh, in, this, uh, in the establishment of the first covenant um, with the children of Israel, the blood was sprinkled on the people, it was sprinkled on the, on the book, it was sprinkled on all the implements of worship, it was sprinkled on the tabernacle, and everything had this symbol of being... Um, of being uh, inaugurated or being established by the blood of the covenant. And this was the blood of animals. This was the blood of animals, but it was what God required uh, of, of um, the people. And so uh, if you look at this section in verses, it's interesting, in verses 11 through uh, 28, there's 11 references to blood. And all of them point either directly or indirectly to the blood of Christ. So why is that important? So if you were to go back to the book of Leviticus, uh, there's a clue in Leviticus why this is important and why God established this. And one verse uh, in Leviticus says this, Leviticus 17 and 11, Leviticus 17 and 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it uh, for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for life. Now in the context that this is written, he's, it's written in a context of you should not eat the blood of animals. And in that context, he says the reason why that's important is because the life is in the blood and I've given that, that blood is to make an atonement for you. So when so when the man brought the lamb because of his sin, that lamb's blood was going to make an atonement 
between him and God because of his sin. And so God didn't want them to eat the blood because the blood was for an atonement for their soul. The Lord Jesus connects the covenant and the blood uh, when he institutes the Lord's Supper. And in 1 Corinthians 11:25, we read this, in the same way also he, that is Jesus, took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's a covenant that God, the new covenant, established by God through Christ, by, the, by Christ's blood shed on the cross for you and for me. So as we, um, as we continue on, uh, there are three ways uh, that Christ is better in verses 23 to 28. So our, our, last, uh, our last paragraph, uh, verses 23 to 28, there's three ways in which, uh, at least three ways, you might find more, but three ways that I'd like to emphasize. And they all, they all have to do with an appearance, an appearance of Christ uh, in uh, this, in different uh, times and in different ways. And the first appearance is found in verse 24, and it says this, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now to appear in the presence of God in, on our behalf. And... That's the first appearance, that now Christ appears in heaven in the presence of God. Why? He's there on your behalf. He's there on my behalf. He's there because that's a place where, apart from Christ, we cannot go. He goes into the true holy place in heaven, the presence of God, going back to that thought that God dwells in inapproachable light. You and I cannot walk into that place. You and I cannot enter into that place. But through Christ, we can come, as it'll tell us in the book of Hebrews, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. Because Christ is there uh, on our behalf. The second appearance is found in verse 26. And halfway through the verse, it says, it's talking about uh, the that uh, unlike the priests of old, the Lord Jesus just made the sacrifice once, one sacrifice. And it says this uh, partway through, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so he appeared once to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The third appearance is this, and it's a future appearance, and it's found in verse 28. And it says that uh, Christ will appear a second time, uh, not to deal with sin, but to salvation. And it's not saying that, oh, you're not going to be saved until he comes back. What it's saved is from the presence of sin and taken up into glory. So we're saved from the presence of sin. As a believer, you've been saved from the power of sin and from the punishment of sin, and someday we will be saved from the presence of sin. And that's what he's looking forward to 
in this th in this time. And so uh, the fourth um, the fourth comp uh, confidence that we have in Christ is that He will uh, return. So the first one was He has secured uh, an eternal redemption. Secondly, He is Christ is our mediator before God. Thirdly. He has uh, established or promised an eternal inheritance. Fourthly, uh, he will return. And then, uh, not spelled out directly, but overarching in this, I would suggest to you that the fifth um, confidence that we have in Christ is that the new covenant is completely dependent upon Christ and not on my ability to perform. You will notice as you read through the book of Hebrews that it's about what Christ does and not about what you do. In the Old Testament, right, the people had to say, yes, we will do what you command. And God said, if you do this, then there would be blessing. But if you don't do this, then there will be, there was the blessing and the cursing and the curses. Under the covenant that Christ has established. It's all about what Christ does. It doesn't mean that we get to live however we want. That's not the point. The point is, is that, right, as believers, every one of us in this room, um, it's conceivable that every one of us in this room has already sinned today. I mean, it's, uh, it's almost noon, and, um, you know, it, it takes, it's a, it's a thought, it's a, an attitude, it's, there's so many things where we fall short, right? But praise God, your salvation, my salvation, our inheritance is not dependent on our ability to perform, but on Christ's ability to perform. And he is perfect. He will not fail, and, he is, and we are secure in him. And so... That's why we have those great verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, that's speaking to the believer, right? As we, as we fall short, we confess to the Lord. Yes, Lord, you're right, and I'm wrong. And he cleanses us from that guilt that we might want to carry. Because Christ died for my sins that are past. He died for my sins of the present. And he has died for my sins of the future. And so I stand secure and steadfast and sure in him, and so do you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we consider, um, just to whet your appetite a little bit on uh, the beauty of the Lord Jesus and what he has done, that, he's, he, that he has uh, obtained and, and has set in place a new covenant that gives us an assurance that he will not fail, and that because of him, we will not fail either. But uh, he who has begun a good work in you will see it to completion. That is a confidence that we have in Christ because it's his work in us and not my work to get there. Father, this morning as we have considered your word, we pray that you would just help us to understand, uh, Lord, there is so much depth to all that is in your word and we've only uh, just brushed the surface of who you are and who your beloved son is. And we thank you that uh, he came uh, to this earth, that he died on the cross, that he has obtained uh, an eternal redemption and an eternal inheritance, and that we are safe and secure in him 
uh, never to be never to be lost, never to be uh, without hope uh, because of the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, this morning we thank you for all that you have done for us through your Son and pray that we would be live lives that would be pleasing to him for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.